From the Heritage Foundation, this is Heritage Explains. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to give a quick warning that the subject matter may not be appropriate for all listeners. If you asked most Americans to construct a mental image of what abortion looks like, I think we would agree on the basic parts of that image. It would start with a clinic building of some sort, possibly with escorts and vests. It would look and feel and smell like a doctor's office, a waiting room with bad art on the walls, plastic clipboards with photocopied forms, staff wearing scrubs, sneakers, and ID badges. And then, somewhere in that clinic, there would be a room with scalpels, forceps, and other medical implements used to end the lives of the unborn. And yet, in 2020, the Guttmacher Institute, a partner organization of Planned Parenthood, announced that over half of abortions in the United States do not look like this. There is no building, there are no staff, there are no scalpels. There is only a pair of small white pills. And those pills are all it takes to end the life of an unborn child. Today on Heritage Explains, I sat down with Dr. Christina Francis, president of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, to understand more about abortion pills and what they mean for unborn Americans. Dr. Christina Francis, thank you so much for joining us on Heritage Explains. Thanks so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you wound up doing the work that you're doing? Absolutely. So um, I am a board certified OBGYN. I live and practice as an OB hospitalist in Fort Wayne, Indiana, so northeastern Indiana, and also CEO of APLOG, the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. And we are a professional medical organization that represents uh, just over 7,000 medical professionals across the country and internationally who desire to practice life-affirming medicine. And, you know, as an OBGYN, caring for two patients at once when I care for pregnant women, I've always been pro-life, but it really wasn't until I um, sort of got challenged to do a deep dive into why it is that I'm pro-life and how do I defend my pro-life position that I really was spurred on to get very uh, involved in the pro-life movement and then found out about AppLog and realized that not only is the pro-life position the right position from a you know moral standpoint of protecting life, but also it's the right position uh, from the medical evidence standpoint. And so um, that's what kind of pulled me in even more was just realizing that the medical evidence points to the fact that uh, abortion ends the life of one of my patients and it also causes significant harms for my other patients. So what we'd like to talk about today specifically is the abortion pill, also called a chemical um, abortion. And can you sketch out for us when we talk about abortion pills, chemical abortions, what are we talking about? What kind, how many pills, like what does this look like and how long has this been around? 
Yeah. Well, so I think it's an important thing to talk about because when people hear abortion pills or chemical abortion, I think a lot of times people think about a variety of different things. So sometimes people will think that that's the same thing as plan B or the morning after pill or emergency contraception. Those are very different. When we're talking about chemical abortion, we're talking about a specific two drug regimen. So there's two different medicines, both of which start with M. The first one is mifepristone. And that's the one that traditionally a woman would take at the abortion facility and its mechanism, the way it works to cause an abortion is that it blocks the action of a key hormone in early pregnancy called progesterone and doesn't allow that progesterone to do what it needs to do, which is to establish healthy connections between mom and baby so that baby can get the nutrients and the oxygen that he or she needs to continue to grow. And then the woman takes a different, a second medication called mesoprostol 24 to 48 hours later, and that essentially puts her into labor. So it causes her uterus to contract and expel then um, the, the fetus, which typically has, has died at that point, and um, any other pregnancy tissues as well. And it's been approved in the U.S. since the year 2000, so it's been around nearly a quarter of a century here in the U.S., um, but since the FDA sped through its approval uh, in the year 2000. It approved it through its rapid approval process. Um, but when it did that, it put pretty significant safeguards in place because it recognized that there were significant dangers associated with these drugs. Uh, but since then, unfortunately, they have removed pretty much every single one of these safeguards further endangering um, not only preborn human beings' lives, but also the lives of the women and girls who are taking these drugs. How prevalent is the use of the abortion pill? So it's very prevalent now. In fact, um, the latest numbers from the Guttmacher Institute show that at least 60% of abortions now in the U.S. are being done via these pills. It's probably much higher. Of course, we have states in, in the U.S. like California that don't even report their abortion statistics. And we see you know, the curve of the use or the prevalence of these drugs is increasing exponentially. And so it really is becoming by far the most prevalent way that women are, uh, are having abortions done. So when you talked about the risks, not only for the babies involved, but also the mothers, can you talk about what are some of those risks? Yeah, you know, so women are lied to. I think this is one of the great deceptions uh, for women surrounding the issue of abortion are these drugs. They're told that they're safer than Tylenol. Um, but I often say that, yes, Tylenol, you see complications related to Tylenol, but those are from Tylenol overdoses. They're not from uh, FDA approved doses of Tylenol versus what we're seeing with the FDA approved doses of these medications is that they actually cause a four times higher complication rate than surgical abortions. Many people are shocked to find that out. I think it's sort of intuitive. People would think, you know, a surgery would be inherently more dangerous than, than just taking a drug. But these drugs carry significant risks of hemorrhage or really heavy bleeding, infection, um, particularly an atypical kind of sepsis picture or a blood infection, and, um, and incomplete abortion, especially the way they're being dispensed now where women have tissue that's left inside of their uterus that can sit there and cause an infection to develop inside the uterus. It can cause them to have really heavy bleeding and even impact the outcome of future pregnancies then. So why is this emerging as a cultural issue now? If they've been around for quite some time, why are we now just kind of starting to hear more about the abortion pill? Yeah, well, you know, I think one, because the use is 
increasing so much. And so it's becoming the most um, common way that, as I said, that women are having abortions done. Part of that is because there are fewer and fewer abortion providers. There's fewer and fewer physicians willing to do abortions. And so it is more difficult for women to find a place where they can have a surgical abortion done. Um, because again, I think many physicians are realizing that that's not something that they want to be a part of. We know that 93% of OBGYNs don't perform abortions. So that's part of it. The other reason why we're hearing a lot more about it though, is because as I said, the FDA has continued to remove safeguards around the use of these drugs. And the, the most damaging potentially one that they did was in, um, 2021, where they said that the in-person, there was only one visit now being required versus when it was first approved, there were three visits required one before they took the drugs and two afterwards for follow-up. Um, then they knocked that down to one visit in 2016. And then in 2021, they took away that in-person visit requirement. What that did was that made these pills then available online. So women can get on any number of websites now and order these drugs with really no medical supervision and then they can be shipped to them through the mail. And so this has not only increased the number of abortions that are done this way, but it's increasing complications because women aren't being screened for how far along they are in their pregnancy. And we know that the dangers of these drugs increase the farther along in pregnancy a woman is. They're also not being screened for ectopic pregnancy, which happens in one in 50 pregnancies and is a life-threatening condition. Um, and the real danger of that is that women who are experiencing a rupturing ectopic pregnancy, which again can kill them, have very similar symptoms to the symptoms that women experience from a chemical abortion, which is abdominal pain and vaginal bleeding. So if they start having symptoms after having taken these drugs, they're going to think that that's normal, um, that that's part of their abortion process, and they're going to ignore those symptoms and not go and seek medical attention when they really need to for that ectopic pregnancy. So, you know, I think the, the ease of access now to these drugs is part of why we're hearing a lot more about it as well. And these changes, this really endangerment of the lives of women and children um, are what led to the, the lawsuit that many people have probably heard about, um, the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine versus the FDA, over not only the illegal approval of these drugs, but also um, then their continued removal of those safeguards, which are actively endangering our patients' lives. Another topic that we often hear discussed when we talk about the abortion pill is the possibility of abortion pill reversal. Can the effects of these drugs be reversed? Thankfully, yes. So the first drug, mifepristone, um, can be reversed actually uh, by giving the, the hormone that it was meant to counteract. So just by giving progesterone. And this is supported through a lot of different types of evidence. It's supported through basic biochemical principles, through animal research, and through um, human studies where women have been given progesterone after they have taken that first pill and then regretted it and changed their mind. And we know that this happens very frequently. I have um, a few women that I have provided progesterone for who have gone on to uh, carry to term and, and deliver healthy babies. In fact, I have one who's due to deliver any day now um, after abortion pill reversal. And so that, you know, is the one I think silver lining in the fact that more abortions are being done via these drugs is that it does give women the opportunity if they change their mind uh, to potentially try to save their baby. It's not 100%, um, but the data that we have shows that it's about 68% effective. So um, and over 4,000 babies are alive today because of abortion pill reversal. And those women had the chance then 
you know, to change their minds and, and to correct that decision that they made sort of in the heat of the moment and then afterwards realize that that wasn't really what they wanted. What should pro-life Americans who are really concerned about the unborn and about women who find themselves in this situation, what do you think that we can do to address this issue? Well, I think one of the most important things is just being informed about um, the issue. So being informed that these drugs are very dangerous and helping women to understand that the lies that they're hearing from the abortion industry, which is that these are safe, um, that they can be done in the comfort of your own home uh, versus what they should be saying is that we're turning your home, your place of refuge, your safe place into an abortion facility. And that's something that those women will never forget. Um, So it's important that people be informed about this so that they can be talking to the women that they know, to the girls that they know, that they can be talking to their churches. It's also important, you know, our elected officials should hear from people about this, that we should be looking at um, ways that we can regulate these dangerous drugs. And again, you know, this lawsuit is one way, but there are laws that could be passed in states. There are laws that could be passed on a federal level that would make it more difficult for these drugs to be dispensed. And at the very least, if they're going to remain available, that at the very least, some safeguards be put back in place to safeguard women and girls. We know that young girls are taking these drugs. And so I think, you know, it's just important for people to be well-informed about this, to know the dangers, but to also know about the availability of abortion pill reversal, because it really is a time sensitive thing. Women need to start it. um, The closer they started after taking the Mifepristone, the better, but it has to be done within 72 hours and before they take that second drug. So people just need to know about it. So if, you know, you're just having a conversation maybe about this issue, um, maybe a woman is considering starting these drugs for an abortion, and it's important that she knows about the the availability of abortion pill reversal. So I think the biggest thing that concerned Americans can do is to be informed, just like any other issue, and to really be talking about this. This is a great deception that has been played on American women, on the American public in general, and the abortion industry and its allies need to be held to account for the lies that, that they're telling. Last question for you today, I think. You know, I think you're going to repeat yourself a little bit in your response, I would imagine. But for those of us who may at some point find ourselves in a conversation with a woman who's maybe considering this option, you know, going online, ordering pills, taking them, um, someone came into your office and said that that was their intent. Um, How do you approach that conversation with them? What is it that you say to them? um, And what can people keep in mind if, if that should happen to them? Yeah, well, it's a great question, and it's something that I have encountered many, many times. And typically, the way that I would start that conversation, regardless of what kind of abortion she might be considering, is I ask her why she thinks that's the best choice for her at this point in her life. I found that to be a very telling question because oftentimes she'll say, well, someone's forcing me to do this or pressuring me to do this, or I just don't feel like I have the support that I need. So in general, I think it's important for, especially those of us in the pro-life movement, to really try to understand the reasons that are pushing women into this decision so that we can help her and help do something about that. Um, But in addition to that, I think it's really important um, that women understand that this is not 
the safe uh, solution that they are being told that it is, that they need to understand there are very significant possibilities for physical complications as well as mental complications. Women are passing their babies at home and it doesn't look like a clump of cells like they're told it's going to. They are recognizing that's their baby. And um, groups that we work with that talk to women who have had abortions are getting flooded with calls of women who are, you know, beside themselves because they just saw their baby and they're being told to flush their baby down the toilet and they don't want to do that. They recognize they can't do that to their own child. And so this is taking a huge mental toll on women as well as they're then left with that image for the rest of their lives. So that's what I would tell her is that I know that this seems like it's the best solution for you right now, but you need to understand the risks that are involved. You need to understand what this might do to you from an emotional standpoint. And then if she's insistent that she's going to proceed with that decision, the last thing I would encourage her to do would be to actually see a medical professional before she takes those drugs, not to order them online. You know, many of the drugs that are available online are shipped from pharmacies overseas. We have no idea what's in those pills. It's very unsafe. This is not what should be recommended to women. And, you know, our firm belief at Applog and mine as an OBGYN is that all women, regardless of what decision they may make about continuing their pregnancy or not, deserve excellent health care. And abortion is not that, especially unregulated abortion like what we're seeing with chemical abortion drugs right now. Dr. Christina Francis, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to Dr. Christina Francis for her contribution to this episode. You can follow her on X at Dr. Francis for Life. That's Dr. Francis and the number four, life. You can find more about the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists at aaplog.org. In addition, this month, Heritage hosted an event called Abortion Pills, What's Next, featuring Dr. Francis, as well as Congressman Bob Good of Virginia, Eric Baptist from Alliance Defending Freedom, and hosted by our own senior legal fellow, Sarah Perry. If you'd like to know more about this topic, that would definitely be a great place to begin. We've included a link in the show notes. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or suggestions for future episodes, send them our way at heritageexplains at heritage.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It's written and produced by Mark Guiney, Lauren Evans, and John Pop.